This episode, we talk about the current state of the Christian church in America with our good friend, Pastor Mike. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. Over the last year, progressive liberalism and massive government control have taken over much of America. Progressive Democrats now sit in the White House and control both chambers of Congress. The COVID pandemic gave government the mandate in the eyes of many Americans to completely shut down every aspect of our lives, including our schools, businesses, and even churches. All of these mandates have created a significant amount of conflict between those institutions and organizations and the government, as well as dividing Americans against each other. Today, I want to specifically talk about how these issues and situations we have seen over the last year specifically are impacting the Christian church and those who practice the faith. And to help me with that conversation, I am going to talk with a good friend of mine who also happens to be a pastor at a church here in Southern California. Pastor Mike, welcome. I'm so glad we are finally getting the chance to sit down and have this conversation. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's been a while. We've been trying to get together, but I, I appreciate know. it. We finally did it. Okay. So let's start by talking about, from the perspective of a, as a pastor, you know, on that side of things, where do you see the church as it stands today when it comes to kind of the COVID lockdowns and how the different churches um, across the state and across the country are reacting to what the government's telling them to do? Yeah, definitely. Well, so I want to give a little background of where I've been here since 2020 started. I uh, actually took my first uh, senior pastoral role at the church where I serve, and uh, it started right in January 5th was my first Sunday pastoring. And uh, who knew a couple months later we were going to be in the middle of a pandemic and really trying to navigate as a church, mm-hmm. as faithful believers, uh, for an entire year. Um, so everything that I say today is going to be not necessarily a, a my, just my opinion, but um, the truth of the matter of what has been going on from a faith-based perspective. And I know there are a lot of differing ideas when it comes to how the church is going to handle this. And even till today in 2021, in February, there's still churches trying to figure out how to get back. So um, everything I say is just from my personal perspective, how we have come along since throughout 2020 and um, and I hope it helps out and encourages other believers uh, and, and gets them back to church. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Cause, so my church, so my fit, we're Catholic um, and our church barely opened up this last week to allow people back into the church. So they've been doing the Zoom for the whole year. And then they when they were allowed, they were doing the parking lot services. Um, and so they finally just this last week got the OK to go back into the church and we went and the the first thing, I mean, yeah, they're doing this, the six foot social distancing and you have to wear your masks. But the thing that, that got me right off the bat is they said, you know, you're not allowed to sing. Like the congregation is not allowed to sing. And that just, it just struck me. So it just, it really upset me because it's like, right. how is it that the government is able to tell a church, like your people cannot sing in church? Yeah, definitely. And and how it started with us is uh, back in, I believe it was April, we went the first time, di- uh, we went virtual only. Mm-hmm. So we were online doing live service online. We're a smaller church, so we struggled through that for a while, but we made it happen. We were being faithful in, in how we provided the service. None of us really knew what was going to happen in that time. Um, it quickly 
uh, became noticed that this wasn't just a pandemic issue. And that actually was shown to us in uh, April of 2020 mm -hmm. when they told the churches that we could not have Easter service here in our county. Um, that really set apart what the agenda is or was at that time and continues to be because when they start overreaching into the church for our own personal worship of who we worship and why we worship and the importance of that day of Easter and that time, Holy Week and everything, when they overstepped and made that declaration, mm -hmm. that's when we started kind of noticing, I say we in my church and my leadership, that this was more than just a pandemic. Yeah. And sure enough, we went ended up back in the church. I think it was about June. And then everything started kind of coming back around. We ended up outside and started doing parking lot service, but we never stopped service yeah. is the key. Uh, from there, it started getting really the wet, really hot. The weather started mm -hmm. getting kind of uh, kind of unbearable to do things outside. And the struggles really led to, okay, at what point do we take a stance? Right. In July is when they told us that we could not worship, physically worship, singing in church. And again, there are biblical principles that show us that we do not neglect meeting in person mm -hmm. and worshiping together. And that's in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. So there's a point in time where you start looking at what the government is doing or what leadership is doing around us to put restrictions on the church in our worship. Right. And that's when we started drawing the line personally in my church. Yeah. And you, I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of funny to me because, you know, you hear all of the time people who are not people of faith who say like, we, well, we need to have separation of church and state. We need to have separation of church and state. But then when all of this happened, I mean, that just went out the window. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, the church, the state absolutely has the right to tell you not just, okay, we're in the middle of pandemic, you know, these are some things you can consider to, to keep your congregation safe. But actually, you know, you are not allowed to sing. In right. church. I mean, it really was just, it, that seemed to be a point, I think, like even talking to fellow Christians just in conversation where people just kind of took notice, like, I'm sorry, how, how is this actually something that you guys think that you could do? Right. And, and definitely you see that division even in the church today. Um, there are there are faithful believers that say we should not go inside the church, uh, especially during 2020, that we should we should practice the social distancing and and the uh, the things that the, the government was telling us to do. The health officials, they're saying that we should follow those guidelines. And it wasn't a matter of fight the power. I think a lot of people mistaken, uh, it's not about fighting the power, but there is a point in time where now you're telling us to do something that is opposite or contradictory to the word. Yeah. And that's when we draw the line. And, and a lot of Christians, I think, um, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but uh, personally, there is a point in time where you say, okay, this is the line that I'm drawing, and I'm going to continue to worship, regardless of what the government does to me. And my wife and I were faced with that very question. What are we going to do if they come into our church and tell us, okay, we're going to fine you $1,000 for singing in church. Uh, we made a stance back in, in August of 2020 and said, we're not going to stop singing, Yeah. period. And, and that's where we need to come to a point as a church collectively and say, at what point did they overreach into our church doors? Right. Right. Um, we have great examples all through the Bible. Uh, Daniel gives us a great example of how to live in a structured government and at a certain point saying, 
I choose God over what the government is telling me. And that certain point is when Nebuchadnezzar told him to stop to worship him only and deny his God. That's when Daniel took the stance and he was thrown into the furnace. And you guys know the story. So there is always a point where we can look. Yes, we have the, the scriptures that say, hey, follow government, follow law. God, God has, uh, has, has put them in power. And we know that. But there is a place in time where we say enough is enough as a church because they are contradicting the word. The word is our sole authority. And that, and that was actually exactly what I was going to ask you, because I think that when, you know, I look at my Catholic church, which, you know, the Catholic church may be as a little bit opposed to maybe some of the other denominations. I mean, there's a lot of bureaucracy in the Catholic church. It's, you know, good, bad or whatever. That's how it is. And I think that the, the stance that certain Christians, including the Catholic church, at least here in California, um, the stance that they've kind of taken is they look at, you know, Romans 13 and they say, well, we're in a pandemic and it's special circumstances. And, you know, they're asking us to do this because, you know, hey, we're and, and a lot of people will say, like, hey, you're Christians, like you're supposed we're doing this to save lives. Like we're doing this because we're trying to save lives. And, you know, then we're told in Romans 13 that, you know, we have to list, do what the government says and, and whatnot. And yet at the same time, that's the question is really. So there's no like, is there so we just if the government says like you're not allowed to, to have your faith anymore, you're not allowed to worship God anymore at all, which I mean, let's be real. Like you said, Easter 2020, Christian churches across the United States sat empty. Right. That's just unbelievable. I mean, it's unheard of. So it's like, that's really what they, and, and of course, you know, you look at also the, the fact, and I think this is where a lot of people had problems too with it, is like, so you're telling me that like me going to church is going to kill a bunch of people, but me going to Costco, that's totally cool. Like, that's fine, you know? And, and so that's the, that is the question that I think that, Christians have been faced with and you have you've seen some Christians go in one direction some go in another but you know how do we reconcile that which is you know we we're supposed to obey the government we're supposed to obey the laws we want to do right by our community and we don't want to hurt people but at the same time you're telling us to stop worshiping right and and it, and it goes back to that um that Hebrews 10 verse and and I'll read it for you guys here it's actually uh, Hebrews 10 and we're going to go to verse 25 and says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And, uh, and this is a, a just a little verse and, and you know me, I'm not, I, I, I cannot stand single verse uh, uh, references, but I'm going to do it for this case because that is directly calling faithful believers to never stop neglecting meeting together. It's, it's a command, right? It's, it's, it's what we do. The minute that the, the government told us, and I kind of go back because this was the, the, the line that was drawn in the sand for me personally, don't worship on Easter. That's Holy Week. That's a big week for Protestants and Catholics yeah. and, and the Orthodox uh, and, the, and the Jews. It's a huge week, well, right? It's, it's the most, you know, people always, it's Christmas, right? Like, right. especially if you're not a Christian, it's Christmas, Christmas. I mean, Christmas is great. I mean, wonderful. But Easter is the most important day. I mean, that's, Easter is the resurrection. I mean, that's 
the most important day for Christians. Yes, definitely. And, and see, there's a deeper issue in all this because it's not just the fact that the government was telling us not to meet. Uh, when they told us not to sing in church physically, when they told us, oh, you can you can do worship, but you have to do it outside or don't sing outside. The things that they were telling us were really absurd because isn't it not our choice to figure out what we're going to do with our own life? And and I bring this up because there's an important story. It's not even a story. It's, it's history. There's a bishop, uh, Dionysius, and you could go look this up. And there were two examples in this time when there was a, uh, a pandemic going on in the world. It was, it was in the first century church, uh, Catholic church. And there was a pandemic going on at the time. And there were two stances that were taken. And he writes about this. Uh, the first stance from the non-believer or the atheist or the world, the world perspective, we could call it that. And, and I'm going to read word for word from, from uh, something I had pulled off. It says, Bishop Dionysius described events in Alexandria at the first onset of the disease. They, and this is uh, subquote the pagans, pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. In other words, that pandemic still persisted. But the world's perspective is for self-preservation. Mortality is real. We learned that in 2020. And what's sad about that is there wasn't just a world perspective, but there were Christians willing to stop their mission of spreading the gospel and ministering the gospel, praying for the sick, going against the teachings of Christ because of mortality. People are scared to die. Well, guess what? We're not going to live forever. That's the truth of the matter. Now, in that same time period, he also writes this. Most of our brother Christians showed unabound love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were inf infected by others with disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. In other words, the Christian response to a pandemic is not to flee from the sick. And it was so sad in 2020 that we saw so many Christians willing to abandon the sick. Well, and how many people, and to me, it was the most inhumane thing that I, like our so-called civilized society, forcing people to die alone without any loved ones near them, not allowing people to say goodbye in person to their loved ones who were dying of COVID. I mean, I, to me, that's inhumane. That's just cruel. Yeah, and, and, uh, and from a believer's perspective, from my Christian perspective, we know that when people are on their deathbed, that they are given specific rights. There is prayer. There's power in prayer. We believe that. It's in the Bible. The Bible shows us all this. This is not my opinion. This is what the Bible tells us. And when people are laying in a, in a hospital without family, without their pastor, even, even a non-believer, a chaplain could walk in there and pray for a non-believer, but they were not given that opportunity. Now, I know that my God is more powerful than a government's restriction. So I have faith that there were nurses and doctors, faithful believers that were in there praying for people. And we hear some of those stories today. 
but the fact that they tried to stop that that they did they didn't allow pastors and priests and and rabbis or they didn't allow anybody to go and pray with their loved ones it's a travesty well and you if you could tell the story cuz you had talked you had told me about it of you know some of the people that you did go and pray for um, some of the people that you did go and pray for before they passed um, as a pastor and as you say our god is bigger than all of it but how much that meant to the families. Yeah, so early on in the pandemic, when people were dying alone in the uh, in the hospital rooms, I had looked at my wife and I told her, if I ever get a chance to pray with somebody that has COVID that, that might not make it and, and, and be there to pray with them and just let them know that they're loved, I'm going to do that. And I made that promise, not just to my wife, I prayed it to God. And I said, Lord, I, if you give me this opportunity, I will humbly walk in your calling. And uh, let me tell you, do not challenge the Lord because <laughs> he will call you out and he'll call your bluff. And, uh, um, you know, a couple months ago, we had a church member that had gone into the hospital with COVID and she wasn't doing well. She had other underlining conditions. She came out of the hospital and we didn't know while well, we knew she was positive for COVID. Her family reached out. She was a, a dear member of ours for many, many years. And um, I offered to go pray with her. Well, like I told you guys, do not, the, the Lord will call your bluff. I, I was given that opportunity and I had to make a choice because so many people are, are faced with that choice right now. What are you going to do with somebody that's about to die and they have COVID and you have an opportunity to pray from, and I'm talking to the believers here because this is a real opportunity. When a God call, when God calls you into ministry, and it's, and we are all called into ministry. Not all of us are pastors, but we're called to pray. We're called to be there with the sick. Long story short, uh, two other members, close friends of mine, I called them up and said, "Hey, I'm gonna go pray for our church member." And, uh, and we showed up to the house, and we knew she had positive for COVID. The whole family did, as a matter of fact. Uh, one of her sons was still coughing in the house. And we walked in, and one thing that I didn't do is put on a mask. And, and I don't pat myself on the back for that. I'm not saying, oh, look at me. I'm, I'm this holy guy. It's not even that. I did not want to be her last vision of her pastor in a mask, treating her like she's infected. She is a dear member. We, we prayed with her. We laid hands on her. We anointed her with oil. And we prayed for the family. And we stood in there in complete confidence that the Lord was going to keep us safe. And that takes a lot of faith. Now, and again, I am not patting myself on the back. It just takes faith. And I prayed the entire time, not only for, for our church member and the family, but I was praying for myself and my other two members that walked in that house with me. Yeah. As we were walking out, her son comes in and grabs us real quick, and he just thanked us for doing that, just for being there to pray, because a lot of people would not go pray for the sick. And if there's anything we learn in the Gospels, of the walk of Jesus, he never ran from the sick. Hey. He never treated them like they're infected. He, ne he, he laid hands on the sick. He healed the sick. He walked with us. The, the lepers, he laid hands on the leper. That was a big no-no in that time, but he did it. And that was the example that I stood on the two times I had an opportunity to pray with, uh, with one, two of our members. That, that, that was the example. Following Christ, it's, it's, it's Christian. Christian is Christ-like, Christ-living, kingdom first. And I knew the risk. 
I understood that I could get sick. And this story that that, that Dionysius that his recounts, yeah, his, as he recounts the the uh, the plague in that time, that all that stuck with me from day one because I knew there was going to be an opportunity that the Lord would put before me personally that I would have to answer that call. And when we shut ourselves away and put ourselves in the house and stay away from the stick, imagine the opportunities that Christians are missing because of self-preservation. That's never our call because the flesh is going to wither away, but the spirit, that's what we're after. We're after the souls, the hearts of men, and allowing the Holy Spirit to put a, be a works through us into their their own spirit to bring them to a place of conviction where they can accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the goal. And if if my life means that one is saved, then it's enough. And that's my stance. And what does it say, you know, to people out there who maybe are on the fence about faith, you know, when when the Christians are all running and hiding? <laughs> right. I mean, what does that say? And, and, and it's a it's accountability issue. I mean, all through the Bible, we see fear not. Yeah, exactly. Fear do not, not be afraid. The book of Psalms, you know, as I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The shadow of death. Yeah. See, we are in valleys every day. Every day we step, we sit in a car and we drive to work, anything can happen. The only difference that happened in 2020 is that mortality was very real. And that's what the Lord calls us to know, to understand. Tomorrow is not promised. We're never promised tomorrow. And that's why he says to count on me, rely on me over and over and over. We see all through the Old Testament when uh, the Israelites were in exile, they had to, they had to rely on God for their provisions. Well, it's no different for us today that we have to rely on the Lord for our health. We have to rely on him for our strength because we can't do it on our own. And as, as from a believer to believer, I'm not talking pastor to, to listeners. I'm talking believer to believer. There's got to be a point in time where we say yes to God in everything in our walk. And we have to lay ourselves down and say, I will walk this line no matter where it takes me. It doesn't matter how many masks I put on my face. It doesn't matter how far I stay away from people. The Lord has my life in his hands, not COVID-19. COVID-19 is irrelevant because the Lord knows when he's going to take me home. He knows when he's going to take us all home. And and I have heard so many stories over the last year about people who were elderly, who passed away from COVID-19, and their families were just dumbfounded because they were like, we have no idea how they got it. We kept them so in a bubble. Nobody saw them. We we dropped their groceries off on the front porch, and yet somehow they got it. And then there's so many people who are living their lives completely normally, seeing so many people and just going to work and going to, you know, different things and gatherings and whatnot, and they've been okay. And so it does just kind of make you, you know, but what would you say to somebody? Because, you know, I know that you're going to have people who are listening to this who are going to say, okay, yes, like, I believe in God and I believe, you know, that of course, you know, he's going to, he's got my life in his hands and he's going to, you know, take me when it's my time and all of that. But I still put my seatbelt on when I get in the car. And when my kids are in the car, I don't drive erratically and I don't speed too much and I don't, you know, drink and drive and all these things because, you know, to where do we draw the line between saying, you know, okay, yes, I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to put my, my faith in, you know, I know that like, my future is God knows when I when it's going to be my time and when it is going to be my time. Like there's nothing I'm going to be able to do to stop that. Yeah. But how do you balance the argument that I know a lot of people try to make against that, which is to say, well, yeah, but we still take precautions to keep ourselves safe. 
So like, how do we draw, you know, walk that line? It's, it's comes down to faith. And, and that's the bottom line. What the Lord has called us to is to walk in faith and, uh, the mask wearing and the social distancing nowhere in the Bible to say, stay away from each other. Well, and, and these things have negative ramifications. I think that's kind of always been my biggest thing is like, I am so t- kind of, I've been tired from, I guess, from day one, so I can't say that I'm just now tired of it, but I'm so tired of the people who try to pretend like all of these things don't have ramifications. You know, I mean, we've been talking a lot as parents about, you know, our children's future in terms of education. And your wife and I were just actually talking about this a little bit earlier today about, you know, I'm not going to send my kids to school where they are going to not be able to see the full face of their friends, where they have partitions that are separating them from their friends, where this is not just about keeping them safe. When we do this to a five-year-old, we are conditioning these children to be afraid of getting within a certain distance of another human being. And no one can tell me that that's not going to have lifelong ramifications in terms of their ability to connect with people, their ability to form relationships and really like friendships and even, you know, down the line someday romantic relationships with people where they are being conditioned at five years old that it is actually dangerous for you to get within six feet of another person. Like we, these things are not consequence free. Right. And, and I mean, just, not even just the kids, but we look at grandparents and there were a lot of grandparents. I saw the, the news of them hugging through plastic, yeah. hugging their loved ones. Um, there's a very real physical need that humans need by nature. Yeah. And that was God given. That was given to us to embrace each other, to hug each other, to be with each other. Isolation is not of the Bible. Isolation is never in the Bible. Now, Jesus did go on his own to grow closer to the Lord, his father, our father, but he did not leave people to stay away from him. He left to regenerate and come back, right? right? Well, so, and he also, one of the things, just as a parent, this this kind of um, example stuck with me where, because, you know, you always think like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do my Bible study or whatever. And then, oh my goodness, I just can't because every five minutes the kids are asking me for something. And it brought up the example, like, yes, Jesus went off to pray, but anytime somebody stopped him because they needed something from him, he would stop and he would go, you know, he would care for that person and he would minister to that person. And it's like, you know, yes, we, of course, we all need our alone time or whatnot, but we are social creatures and we're called to be social creatures and we're called to give, to sacrifice and to give of ourselves for other people. Yeah. And, and probably, I don't know if you noticed, but probably about six, eight months into this entire pandemic is when you really saw people drawing weary. They started getting really tired in depression. Now, depression, nobody is talking about the depression in our children in in people's lives right now the suicide rate is going through the roof uh abuse at home is going through the roof domestic violence is going through the roof among so many other things that are happening because people are alone either together in a house and stuck in a house or whatever it is it's bringing out something in humans that is almost archaic right because now they are relying on the government to tell them what they need to do and how they need to live and they are not going to the book to the word and allowing the lord to guide their path and direct them so there is i'm not a psychologist by any means but i think it's very apparent in anybody with critical thinking you could look at the situation and say this is going to have an adverse effect on humans 
period. There's there's division in churches, which is terrible. There's division in society. Besides all the things going on around us and, you know, the the, the social injustices and um, the, the election that just took place, and there's divisions because we do not see eye to eye as humans, period. And the more we are isolated, the more we are counting on other things to give us the answer, and we're no longer focusing on God. That's why this election cycle was so big, because people were picking two men. They're choosing two men to solve the issue. No longer are we looking at God? That's the question. So when we look at all the things that they're putting in place to keep our kids either away from each other, which... I think we know the story about the homeschool kid. All the homeschool kids always weird. Why were they weird? Because they didn't have socialization. We know that. We know the stories. All that homeschool kid's weird. Well, guess what? That's what's happening to all the kids now. And they're stuck on a a screen for eight hours a day. What are they really learning? Oh, and, and screen time. It's funny because, you know, I work in the schools before all of this happened. And the... Every teacher that I talked to, what their biggest thing was, was that parents are giving their kids too much screen time and it's affecting, negatively impacting their performance in schools. And so what do we do? We shut the schools and we put all the kids on screen time all day. I mean, it's just, it's almost like you can't even make it up. You know, like we all know that this is terrible for our kids and yet we just continue doing it. Right. And and there's got to be a point where parents draw the line. You know, there's got to be a point where our kids mean more. Uh, and, and I know, like you said, there's a lot of people that are going to hear this that are not going to agree. And, and I've, been, I've had Christians tell me, why are you even going in church? What's, what's the purpose? We could do it online. Now, to all the Christians out there, the faithful believers, and I'm talking faithful believers, do you really sit in front of the TV and pay attention to the entire service? Number one, yeah, it never there's happens. There's no way. It's You're neglecting way. something. Mm-hmm. Personal, great friend of mine, he's like a brother of mine. He told me, he goes, oh, no, we always fast forward to worship. To get to the message, and I go, okay, but do you really listen to the message? He goes, well, we hear some of it. There's so many distractions. That's why the Lord wrote in the Bible tells us to be together in community, to you know, so we can accountability, encouragement, all the things that we need to do in our Christian walk. But that's being neglected, and that's just the fact of the matter. When we neglect to worship. Our life should be full of worship, but if we're neglecting just a Sunday worship, you know we're not doing it Monday through Saturday. And these are the things that we, this is how we spiritually grow nearer to the Lord. Now we're neglecting those that time with the Lord, the worship for him. So it all ties in to what was the government really trying to do to the church? We know that there, there's policies that are, that are put in place right now that are directly contradictory to the word. We know that. We know that there's a direct attack on Christianity. And a believer knows it. You know it deep in your heart. A non-believer, maybe not. You might think we're crazy, but that's okay. Jesus was crazy in his time. And that's that's and and he was so crazy that even the religious, the Pharisees, put him on a cross. So that doesn't bother us so much. But it's when Christians start adopting this progressive mindset to to allow the government to say, hey, don't do that. Okay, we won't do that. Hey, we're going to do this instead. Okay, hey, don't say that because it's going to offend somebody. Okay, we won't. When we start adopting those ideals, then now we are contradicting the word ourselves. That progressive, that progressive church that's happening in the United States. You guys want to know why we, are, why we were deemed non-essential in 2020? Yeah. Look at how the church has become. We have to self-examine now. Yeah. Lord's given us that. See, all through the Old Testament, the Lord brought upon 
his people something. He allowed things to happen to wake his people up. Well, guess what? 2020 is a wake-up moment for the church. Are you guys awake is the question. Yeah, and, and it is a good question because we do see, you know, so many Christian figures or denominations or, you know, whatnot that are that really are moving in that progressive direction. And, you know, you, you hear certain things. And it, like last week I talked a little bit about the whole Ephesians chapter five, you know, wives submit to your husbands and, and that one, that, that fun verse there, you know, and everything. But it's like 22, yeah, 22 <laughs> 21, <laughs> which says submit to one another. But, you know, we look at that passage and as 2021 American women, we are told like, that is terrible. It's terrible to consider your like, no, the husband's not the head of the household. You're equal. You're a team. And and it's like how, you know, as Christians, it does take a lot of courage to for, you know, for me as a woman to say, you know what? I am a strong woman. Obviously, I have a podcast like I have no problem sharing my opinions with anybody who who is willing to hear it. But I can still say, like, my husband is the head of my household and I don't feel put down. I don't feel, you know, like I'm less than or less valuable or less worthy. Like, you know, all of this talk about how, you know, oh, the Christian faith is so misogynistic and, and all this stuff. And it's like, no, there is nothing that makes me feel more worthy as a woman, as a human than Jesus, you know, and, and then the, then reading the Bible and, and seeing all of what it says. But there's there's so many different issues, whether it's that, whether it's the LGBT issues or, or, or abortion or all these things where I see so many people, you know, I mean, really, Joe Biden calls himself a Catholic, and yet he's not, it's not just that he's a flawed man, because we're all flawed. We're all sinners. You know, that was a big thing, like when people used to talk about how can Christians support Trump, because he's a sinner, you know, and he's been married three times, and he's never been faithful to a wife and all that. And it's like, okay, well, I'm not defending any of that. He's a sinner. I'm a sinner. But in someone like Joe Biden, who says he's a, he's a Catholic, he's actually pushing policies, that is that he wants abortion to be legal and available until birth, taxpayer funded, uh, for any reason at all. I mean, that is in direct contradiction with the with the Catholic faith, and yet I, as a as a Catholic, you know, have to see b- bishops across the country congratulating him on his victory, and it's it's really as a you know person of faith, you know, and obviously all of these people are they're sinners themselves and they're flawed. And so none of us are going, you know, to be perfect. And definitely there's no political party or politician in America who's perfect. So, you know, people have to throw their support behind whoever they think is going to do the best job. But at the same time, I'm just, you know, it, it is, it's, it's tiring to hear Christians make so many justifications and excuses for, because that, that guy's on my political team. And so I'm going to excuse his behavior when it's so contradictory to what, what the Bible teaches. Right. And one of the biggest um, mistakes, I guess we could call it a mistake. One of the the biggest things that's happened in the church today uh, here in the United States is we have adopted a political side and we have not chosen the right side, which is kingdom, uh, God's kingdom. And if we believe the Bible is the living word and that it's it's God's word in its entirety, inspired by God, written by men, but every word of this Bible to be true, then we can't treat it like a buffet-style Bible and pick out what we want. This is not the first time in history where God's people have gone astray. 
again, all through the Old Testament, we see what God's people have done. All Even in the New Testament, all of Paul's letters are warning the churches and, and letting them see that they, the path that they're on isn't right and kind of bringing them back on track. It's it's a habit of mankind, right? Um, even to your sense of, of Ephesians 5, and I love that chapter because everybody looks at the one verse, which is 22, and, and sometimes I tease my wife about it, but I know the truth, and 21 is the truth that we are to submit to each other. Uh, 23 and on yep. is the the husband's role and task that God has put before him. So when we treat it like a buffet-style Bible, yeah, Ephesians 5.22, and and you put your woman on your thumb, which is completely against what the word, the entire word tells us about women, right? But even everything, the, the social acceptance of certain lifestyles and abortion, which is a huge conversation. We know social injustice is a huge conversation. Well, it's not the first time that God's people have been faced with this kind of decision. Where do we go? Do we stand firm to the word or do we begin to adopt social norms? And Romans, uh, Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. Everything is about the word. That's the truth. I always tell people, it's not my opinion. If somebody wants to ask me about a specific lifestyle, what I think about it, it doesn't matter because I have sin in myself as well. Thanks be to Christ, I am redeemed, but I have sin also. So who am I to point the finger at you? However, if you ask me what the word or what my faith says about that lifestyle, you're going to hear the word. And I will read it word for word. Same thing on abortion. If you ask me, when is life a life? Well, when God says that he created you in the darkest place and that he knows you, that means you are created. When you're created in the womb, there is life. There is life there. That's what I'm going to stand on because that's biblical. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to give you the word. That's the truth. And I let the Holy Spirit do the rest from there. I think that there are a lot of people who they like, they maybe they were raised Christian. They like the, they love Jesus. They like the idea of Christianity, um, but they also really, really like being accepted in the world. They really like, you know, being able to go on social media and post things that a lot of people are going to like because you know you're so tolerant and you're so loving and you're so inclusive and all of these you know things that we hear. But the Bible actually calls us to set our sights on things on, on what's above and to not be in this world, <laughs> like, like to live in this world and to, you know, to shine God's love and light in this world. But he, the Bible does tell us like, we're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to seek the approval of the world. Right. So John fifteen nineteen says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And this is not the first time um, in the Gospels that we are told that they will hate us. Mm -hmm. And that's so hard in a society, a me society. Uh, social media has really created that. When we post stuff, we don't post it uh, for anything else but to see how many likes we're going to get or how many good comments are we going to get. Now, if you're posting the right stuff, you're going to get a lot of negative comments. And when I say the right stuff, a lot of things you post about Christ, about God, you're going to get negative comments. For some reason, people come out the woodworks to argue about the Bible. But the key here is that if they hated 
Jesus to the point where they crucified him, and he tells us to bear our cross. Well, guess what, church? We're going to have to bear a cross, and the world is going to put you on that cross whether you like it or not. Should as long as you profess the gospel in its entirety and let people know about Christ. Now, I'm not saying walk around with a Bible and start beating over the head. It's a lifestyle. It's it's who you follow. It's your actions. It's realistically, it's what you say is right and wrong. So if the Bible says it's wrong, well, guess what, church? You got to stand by it. It's wrong. Murder is murder. And, uh, and it's so hard because we want to be accepted. Even in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, we talked about this earlier, the book, the book of Isaiah 58, he's telling the Israelites how to properly fast. And we're in a season of Lent right now, so I'm in, I'm in that type of message right now. But he's telling them how to fast because the people in that time would dishevel their clothes and make their hair raggedy and be in the streets wailing and crying and showing people, oh, look how holy I am. It's not about God. God is reminding his people, it's all about me. Well, the same in the same aspect, who we are and how we live should be pointing towards God in everything. I'm not saying we're perfect. We'll never be perfect. And thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for that, because we're not perfect. And that's why we need Jesus in our life. But that means the things of this world cannot be our focus. We cannot accept certain things in this world. I always tell people there's a political party that I cannot affiliate with because there's so many things that contradict the Bible, not my opinion, the Bible. So we have to think outside of this world. We have to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-driven, kind of going back to the COVID response and who we're supposed to be, are we going to go pray for the sick when Jesus gave us that example? Or are we going to sit back and wait for everybody to get healthy before we pray for the sick? See, and, and it's those questions that we have to answer. So it goes to our lifestyle. Do we walk in faith? Are we walking in faith and not by sight? Walking by sight means there's a lot of people dying. There's an illness out there that can get me. Are we walking by faith and saying, Lord, if I get it, to die is gain, I'm coming home with you. But I'm going to take every opportunity and let people know that they are loved by Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the things I always say is, if you think that being a Christian is easy, you're doing it wrong. Oh, right. You know, because right. I think, and, and a lot of non-believers, you know, like to, to throw that out there, like, oh, you guys just believe in fairy tales because you can't handle the idea that there's nothing after death. You can't handle the idea that the people that you've lost, you know, you're never going to see them again. You can't handle the idea that, like, you're on your own in this life as you walk every day. You know, you, oh my gosh, it's just too much to handle that. You're all by yourself and there's no one that you can ask to help for help or whatnot. And it's like, that is such a shallow view of, of Christianity. And it's like, no, you know, when I, when I was younger, I mean, I was raised Catholic. And then when I was in my, you know, late teens and early twenties, I never stopped believing in God or Jesus or any of that. That was never the path that I walked, but I just, it wasn't my priority in my life. I was living my life. I was having fun. I just wasn't really thinking about it. And when I came back, you know, after all that, and I came back and I read, the first thing I read was the four gospel chapters. And the thing that hit me like a ton of bricks when I read those gospel chapters was that everything that Jesus commands us to do is the opposite of what we want to do. Right, <laughs> like it's right. the opposite of what our intent, like what our, what our um, instinct tells us to do. Right. So like he says, you know, yeah, good for you. You love your, you know, you love the people in your life that are your spouse and your kids and your parents. I mean, that's great. Like even, you know, what is it? even the tax collectors love those people, but like, no, you need to love your enemies. You need to love the people that hurt you. And you're just like, okay, that is so contradictory 
to what my human nature tells me to do. And yet, when I follow what Jesus tells me to do instead of my human nature, I'm always better off. I'm like, I am never worse off for following Jesus. I am always better off for following Jesus. And to me, it's like, how can a message not come from God that says that? Because all the world tells us to do, the only thing the world tells us to do is to follow our human nature, right? You're perfect exactly as you are. Just, you know, you speak your truth, whatever your truth happens to be. Go, you know, do what makes you happy. Do what what feels good. And it's like, but are we really, are people happier when they go down that path? Because I don't see that many people being happier. I see people actually being pretty lost when they go down that path. And, and you know, we see that uh, all in Hollywood. Uh, we see the how the money and the fame, it looks great. The fancy cars, the big mansions, it looks great. But when you really see like a background story about a famous comedian or a singer and you see uh, their road to destruction and, and they make this big uh, glamorous uh, event out of their, their life, uh, the true story of or whatnot. And it's funny because people forget that part of the story and the world can offer you everything. I'll tell you that right now. The world can offer you everything. But that's why the Bible also tells us don't store up our treasures here on earth because our treasure is in heaven. It's outside of here. And just as you said, the non-believer is always going to say, well, you're believing. I heard the sky daddy and unicorns and all all that kind of stuff. Um, But the burden of truth is really on them because we have real life experiences. And and the worst thing right now, Jacqueline, I'm telling you right now, is social media, because you cannot have a very intellectual conversation. I'm not calling it a debate. I'm talking a conversation, a respectful conversation with a non-believer on social media. You can't do it. You can only do your best and try to, but people are going to read what they read. They're going to misconstrue your words, your sentences. They're going to think that you're being combative. When a lot of times you're not combative, you're just trying to explain your side of the story. Um, We don't have to defend God. And I think that's what we'd make a mistake as Christians, that we always want to defend God and say, well, you know, this is what God says. No, God could defend himself. The Holy Spirit's going to defend himself. He knows how to speak. As long as he speaks through us, then we start speaking in love and compassion and mercy and grace and love. I said love already. But um, when we approach individuals like that, and that's even believers in the church, because there's accountabilities that need to happen. It's not easy. And just like you said, the Christian walk is not easy. So I says the, the path through the gate is narrow. That means a lot of people won't take it. That's why it talks about endurance in the Bible and running this race. Because a lot of people, we need endurance. But guess where endurance comes from? It comes from community. If we look at the old days, let's look back in the pioneer days. There was There was one street, houses and shops on left and right. And at the end of the street, what do we find? A chapel, (laughs) a church that everybody met at at the end of the week or during the week in worship, in prayer. It's always at the end of the street because that's that was the meeting place. When the when the government starts telling us stay away from that or tells us or starts putting things into a church that are being adopted by churches and divides the church. Guess who wins? They do. The enemy's winning. Right. So. We have an opportunity now in 2021 as believers, now that we're hopefully we're awake, to start bringing back who we're supposed to be in God's kingdom, not the world kingdoms. It's not going to be easy. There's more things coming against the church and going to continue to come. If you read the end of the book, you know what's coming, but you also know there's victory. And that's kind of, you know, my next thing, I guess, to kind of wrap it up is, you know, what are as a pastor as somebody who's kind of on that side of, you know, seeing all of this situation, 
what would you like to see the church do moving forward? And when I say the church, you know, I think maybe people who, you know, aren't Christian or even some who are Christian, you know, they're like, oh, you know, I'm talking about the entire Christian faith. So whether you're Catholic, whether you're Protestant, like whatever, what would you like to see? What are you hoping to see that the the church does moving forward kind of in a practical sense of how do we rebuild that sense of community that, you know, that you're talking about. I mean, I have heard some things that are promising. I've heard that, you know, throughout this situation, there are a lot more people who are tuning into online services because they are looking for something, you know, as as they're looking around at the world on fire and they're just like, oh my goodness, like I need something to grasp onto. But what would you like to see happen moving forward? What would you like the approach of the church to be? Yeah. And that's a good point. Before I answer that, I want to, that's a really good point. Through every disaster or everything negative that happens in the world, the Lord will always bring back for his glory. And people are saying, well, how can that be? With We just reached, what, 517,000 deaths today, which is terrible. It's, it's a horrible loss of life. Nobody celebrates death, but it happens. This is what's going on. This is our reality right now. But in that, you're right. There are people seeking. There, I have a, 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 not a member, but I have somebody tuning in from Philippines um, every every day he'll he'll catch our messages and it's amazing how God has brought people into the church in that format. Um, it doesn't stop there. It has opened up a whole new. I don't want to sound too Disney or anything. It opened up a whole new world for us as a church because a lot of smaller churches like like our church, my personal church, um, struggled through this this whole digital you know tech, technological world of being online and live when you have these mega churches that have the production we have an ipad hooked up to a microphone and we're doing our best but you know what the word's getting out there and um my my encouragement to the church and to all believers and i'm talking about big c church that profess jesus christ as their lord and savior that he he died and he rose again on the third day for our sins those churches that we come together enough get get over ourselves we are non. We were non-essential because we had all of these denominational divides. And while well, my theology says this, and my theology says that, if our theology is pointing towards Christ, then we need to come together. Anything outside of that, then we need to start holding other churches accountable. And people are, oh man, you, that means you want to judge people? No, I'm not a judge. Jesus Christ didn't even come to judge. But there is an accountability that needs to happen in the church when something is being professed wrong. When there is. Uh, heresies going on and and people are saying something that's not in the Bible and taking pieces out to prove their point for social acceptance or or justices that are not right. Go take another book and try that with, but you're not going to do it with the Bible. There are accountabilities that need to happen, but the church needs to start being a doer of the word, not just a hearer. And that's out of James uh, one twenty two. We need to be a doer of the word. We need to come together because it's going to take the entire Christian faith to start turning things around. And you know what? It might not turn around. And we have to understand that reality that things might not get better because we know the path that the Lord has for us. But we have to be strong enough and we have to be in community on it. And we have to be in agreement that no matter what happens, we're not going to veer from God's path, period. Yeah. And personally, I mean, as much as this entire situation over the last year has, you know, strained relationships here and there, you know, with with certain people with different, you know, who have different ideas and different choices that they've been making at the same time. There have been so many people just in my life personally, pretty much all of them, you know, fellow Christians who 
my relationship with them has gotten so much stronger over the last year. And is is that something that you have seen a lot of too, is just people who, you know, kind of are fellow believers who are, do you think that people are um, becoming more passionate about their faith throughout all this? Do you think that, or do you see the opposite or, you know, kind of what do you see? Well, you know, I'm, I'm really blessed in my situation to be around some very strong uh, Christian leaders and pastors. Um, had a conversation with a, a one of our sister churches, their Slavic church from Russia. And as this entire pandemic was going on, I got to sit in uh, in a group of pastors. We meet, uh, we try to meet once a month. Um, but one of the leaders of that Slavic church was giving his, his account of being a Christian in the USSR in communism. Um, the stories that he gave us come in, in tears. Uh, we all sat there and we said, this is a story that needs to be told to the church because that Slavic church did not shut their doors one day through this pandemic because they said, if we can do it in communist Russia or USSR, if we can do church and be threatened with being pulled out and beaten and, and ostracized and the stories they told us, they're they heart-wrenching. But the, the things that he went through, he said, I can get through that. I can get through a pandemic and praise my God. And we need to know those stories. We need to know the stories, even from digging up uh, uh, the uh, the accounts from Bishop Dionysius in, in Alexandria. We need to know those stories and understand that we're not the first Christians going through a time like this. We get so self-righteous and say, oh, man, this is the first ever. This is not the first time. We have examples, and we have stories to lean on and say, how did my brothers and sisters in Christ respond in this time? Well, now is the time for us to respond in the way that God is calling us to. God doesn't put us in in turmoil and, and in calamity for no reason. He's waking, he's calling us. Yeah. And we have to be, and I keep saying awake because that's, that's where we're at. If the church isn't going to wake up, there's not going to be a lot of people that are going to be awake. But you know what? God only used one Moses. He only used one Abraham. He only used one David. You know, and he only used one job to give us a story of real struggle in war, in life, right? right yeah. I always say, hey, if you want to put your life in perspective, read the story of Job. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and understanding the story of Job, God never gave Job an answer of why he had to go through that. That's and, amazing yeah. to understand. And people, you know, people want. I think that that's an interest, another interesting thing, and you know, maybe it's a little bit of a tangent, but just people, I think, who are atheists or agnostics or whatnot, people who, and, and not so much, I guess that's not just the atheists, if that they're atheists, but that the people who are really anti-religion, like they, they, it, there's this attitude of like, if I don't understand it, if I can't understand it, then it cannot be real, you know? And it's like, I think that that is where humility is such a huge part of Christianity, where it's like, no, I, I accept that there are certain things that, you know, I'm not going to understand it in my human limits, you know, in, in the limited state of that I'm in right now. And I think that's really hard for some people. I think it's really hard for some people to just, you know, be able to say, I can't see the end of the line. Like where you say, you know, it might, this might be a great turnaround and a great revival or things may not work out very well. Some people just have, they, it's the control thing. You know, you can't let go of control. You can't accept the fact that I might not know how this story is going to end, but all I know is that, I am called to be faithful, and I am called to put my faith in God, and that's all there is to it. And and as for me and my house, we will exactly. serve the Lord. Yep. And I have open arms. I love 
you know, talking about my faith at my workplace, even though it's probably a big no-no, everybody knows what I believe. Yeah. And I always say the day that I get fired or something for preaching my faith, or, or I shouldn't say preaching, but for discussing my faith openly, is going to be the day where I skip out of work and, and just praise the Lord mm -hmm. because it says that stuff's going to happen. Right. Um, have faith and know that God is walking with you. I think that's the big thing. People are searching for something, and you can physically enjoy the presence of the Lord. You might think we're crazy until you jump in and you feel it. There's certain things that happen at, in, in, in our world as Christians. And I'm going to say our world because if an outsider is looking right now, they're looking at this weird Christian world. There are things that have happened that we have plenty of testimonies about. How did my dad coming off a of skid row yeah. become a Christian? He should have been angry at God. Right. He had seven stepfathers. He lived in a time where his mom, a um, uh, Mexican from Texas, and his stepdad, a black man from East L.A., couldn't walk on the same side of the road because they probably would have got beat up. Mm -hmm. He had every right to be angry at God because of what man is doing. Right. See, we need to stop focusing on man's problems, and we need to start working on God, our Savior. And, and that's where our focus needs to be, always. All right, well, thank you so much for having this conversation. I think it was really interesting, and we should do this again. I definitely. Yeah. I, I, this is a good, good yeah. time. Good we will stuff. do this again, so thank you. Well, thank you all, and you guys be blessed, and know that there is a Savior out there for you. You might think we're crazy. <laughs> Walk into a church. There are plenty of loving people. We are not judgmental. Mm -hmm. We are all hypocrites. And you know what? I heard a story that uh, there was a church— and, and a, a man walked up to the pastor and said, I don't know if I could do this church thing because there's so many hypocrites. And the, and the pastor looked at the man and said, well, we can always use one more <laughs> because we are all hypocrites. Yep. We all do things wrong. We're not called to be perfect. Mm -hmm. God accepts us where we're at, but he does call us to change and to put ourselves to death or our, our flesh to death and come up a new creation and have that encouragement where we see a pandemic and we don't see fear but we see an opportunity to pray for people and love on people and let them know that there is life outside of this world. And that's through Jesus Christ. So I pray that you guys are encouraged by this entire talk and uh, hopefully you get to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. We will definitely do this again. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about how we as Christians can walk in faith during the current challenges our world is facing. I will be back next week with another deep dive into issues affecting American life from the perspective of just an American. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or a friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJNAmerican. You can also message the show by sending an email to jj at imjustanamerican.com or visiting our locals page at imjustanamerican.locals.com. You can also follow the show on Instagram at imjustanamerican. This episode was produced and edited by Brian White. Music for this episode was written and performed by Michael Beatty.